and this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. Reading from the Old Testament book of Genesis, Genesis 45, verses 1 through 8. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. So tonight, again, we're, we're looking at the, the term divine perspective. That means God's perspective. You and I walked into this building tonight, and we carried with us our perspective Uh, I'm sure we have more than one. We have different perspectives, but our perspectives from a humanity standpoint are affected by our culture, our race, the way we were uh, raised by our family, whether it was our parents or grandparents or uncles or aunts or or children's home or adopted or, or whatever it may be. We have different things that shape and form our perspective in life. The things that happen to us from people outside in shape our perspective. The things that, that we read, that we ingest uh, on, through entertainment and through um, uh, study, they, they affect our perspective. The reason it's important for us to pursue a divine perspective, which is God's perspective, is because God is unchanging. While we have different variables that we've brought into this place tonight, there, there is God who is above all of these things, seeing far above what you and I are capable of seeing. One of the good practices that I've learned recently um, in the last few years, especially living in New York with so many people different from me, I've I've learned the, the, the principle of listening to others' perspective, not necessarily trying to um, to hear from them so that I can win an argument, but just to listen to them and process what it is that they're saying to me. 
It's a valuable tool for us. I think if more of us did that, I believe we would have much less frustration, anger, and violence in our world today. I think it's a a task we should all be well-skilled in. As good as that task is, that principle of, of listening to others, it falls short of our primary perspective. What we need to do is, is pursue the perspective of God. Joseph, we see in this chapter, we're going to see how he had events that happened all in his lifetime, and he had the ability, by God's grace, to, to view the events of his life from God's perspective. And so for you and your life, what is the divine perspective? For this church, what is God's divine perspective? For our city, for our neighbors, for the world, what is the perspective of God for that? And so tonight we're going to see three principles, uh, three essential beliefs, if you will. So essentials, not principles. Three things that are essential for you and I to have a divine perspective. And these are the sermon notes if you want to fill in the blanks and enjoy that amazing experience of seeing nothing become something. Filling in the blank? Okay, we'll move forward. Number one essential is this, divine love. A divine love. This is essential. What we're going to see in just a moment is is Joseph had this godly love for his family, his brothers. And it wasn't just for them but he, uh, that he had, but he had it for other people as well. But God ha- Joseph had this love for them, but we're going to see also that it's not just something that he manifested himself, but it was something that he received himself from God. Look with me in Joseph, or Joseph, look at me in Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 2. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. Remember, at this point, several times in the story, Joseph had seen his brothers and he would be able to control himself and leave the room before he cried. But this time, it got to the point to where he could not. He cried, have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. So we see here this this love that Joseph had for his brothers. There were lots of emotions, certainly, that he was going through, and it, it had been a long process of him reuniting with them. But by the time we get to this point, which is most likely over a year from the first time he saw them again, he got to the point where he couldn't control himself emotionally, and he just started crying in their presence. Over the course of a year or longer, he had worked through probably the initial shock of seeing them for the first time. He had cried many times, and undoubtedly he had gone through the process of forgiveness and what that meant for him to look at them, realizing what they had done and still usher forgiveness and grace to them. Remember, they came to him, and they didn't even recognize him. It had been over 13 years since they had sold him into slavery. Uh, I'm sure his appearance had changed drastically. I mean, mine hasn't changed much in the last 13 years, um, and yours hasn't either, but, you know, these are normal people, you know, in the Bible that we're looking at. So his, his appearance had changed over the 13 years of his life, and most likely his skin was darker because he was closer to the equator, Uh, Most likely he had a different hairstyle because the Egyptians were fantastic hairdressers. And he wore different styles of clothing. And a lot of things were different. But you and I know about this, that we see people and we think, oh, I didn't even recognize you because 
we only see them on their Facebook profile picture. And nobody looks that, you know, looks like that, right? You always get the right angle, right? You get the right lighting. You know what I'm talking about. And so we don't always look that good. And sometimes we get pictures from a long time ago so that we can be forever young. Um, and uh, we have a, a, an issue sometimes identifying people because we expect them to be a certain way. And that's what happened with his brothers. They, they didn't even recognize him. But either way, they get to this point in the story, and Joseph, again, as I said, he, he loses control, and he weeps over them. And, and he does that because he loves them deeply. Sure, they did him, did him wrong, but he still loved them. But it wasn't just his brothers that he loved. He also loved and he missed his father deeply. And we look in the next verse, in verse 3, we read this. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him because they were dismayed at his presence. So he knew who they were, and it, in a moment, life changed for them. And they were in the presence of Joseph, who they had only known as the ruler of Egypt, basically. He was over everything that Pharaoh was over except for Pharaoh. And now they're standing before their brother that they sold into slavery. The Hebrew word here used for dismayed is also translated, oh, snap. <laughs> that's, that's, there was this uncommon love that Joseph had for them that I don't think they were expecting after what they had done to him. But he had this uncommon love for his father as well. Joseph knew his father, and he knew the love that his father had for him, and that love was reciprocated. He was secure in this. And so what we see from this as well is, is we know that like Jacob loved Joseph and how Joseph loved his father Jacob, we, we know that God loves his children the way Jacob loved Joseph. That's the way God looks upon his children. He doesn't show favoritism. Jacob was flawed, and he had his favorites for his reasons. But God doesn't show favoritism, but his love powerfully pursues his sons and daughters. We're all his favorite. We're recipients of his divine love, that we are all, as God's children, the one that he wants to bestow the coat of many colors on. But this divine love that is essential to having a divine perspective in life is not something that we create within ourselves, that we say, today I'm going to, to love God. It's not something we initiate, but it's something that God in his sovereignty has chosen to give to us first. And we see this in a few verses, just a couple quick ones. First John chapter 4, verse 10, we see in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We see that it was God who initiated this love for us. And we also see a very wonderful, familiar verse to all of us in John three sixteen that says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes and trusts in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I want you to get this, okay? God had only one son. One. Jesus 
is the Son of God. He was more precious to him than Joseph was to Jacob. Did you hear that? As much as Jacob loved Joseph, his favorite, to the exponential amount possible, God loved his son much more. Yet two things happened with God that were different than the story of Joseph and Jacob. Two things happened that were different between God and Jesus and Joseph and Jacob. Number one is this. The father sent his only son into slavery. He wasn't stolen away from him. And number two, the son willingly laid down his life instead of having it taken from him. So we see the story of Joseph, the son of Jacob, and it's tragic But in the gospel, we see this even greater love, this one son that he glories above everything else, and yet he loves the world so much that he says, I'm going to send you to become sin on their behalf. I'm going to give you away. And the the son submissively, lovingly lays down his life. In fact, even told uh, Pilate, you don't take my life today, but I'm laying my life down. So in life, we can, we can doubt a lot of things. I get it. Why does cancer still exist? Why do we lose loved, one, lose loved ones and they die? How can sickness and struggle be for my good? Why do I have to put up with people like that at work? I get it. There are, stuff, there are things that we, that we doubt. But one doubt that we should always fight with truth is wondering... I wonder if God really loves me. You have to fight that with truth quickly. Because God so loved you that he sent the greater Joseph into the world for you. God sees what you're going through. Whatever it is right now that you're struggling with, and it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have a plan to heal you. And I have good news as well. God doesn't waste our pain that we go through. God doesn't waste our tears. But anything that has the power to hurt us, God has the power to heal us. Anything that has the power to hurt us, God has the power to heal. If God didn't love you, you wouldn't be here right now. If God didn't love you, you would not hear the message of God's love and salvation for you. He would have blotted you out and started all over, but you're here And if he didn't love you, he would not have sent his son to die on the cross for you. Understand that it is essential to have a divine perspective of knowing, without a shadow of a doubt, God loves me. There is a divine love that is above our comprehension. Number two. There's divine love, and we also have divine knowledge. It is essential for us to understand there is a divine knowledge for a divine perspective. God knows things that we simply don't know. And when we forget this, we start to assume the role of God in our lives. When we forget that God knows things that we don't know, we start to assume the role of God in our lives. Whether we do it purposely or not isn't really relevant. But what we do when we start to say God doesn't, know things that we don't know, we start to make demands of God and tell him that he's wrong for doing certain things a certain way. 
God, you're wrong for this. If you actually cared about us, you would have done things differently. And so what we do in that moment is we subject God to us and say, we know better than you because we see what's really happening here and you're unaware. So we press God down below us. But remember, there is a divine knowledge that he has. We can still doubt and we can still struggle and we can still wrestle with God in these things, but always come back to the truth that God is God and you are not. See, Joseph saw a plan in God's purpose in the events of his life and he saw how God was orchestrating everything. And look at this section and see Joseph aware of the divine knowledge of God in verses four and following. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer and he said, I am your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. So did Joseph have terrible things happen to him? Say yes. Yes. Was Joseph in a lot of pain from time to time? Say absolutely. Absolutely. Did he hurt? Say yes. Did he cry? Say of course he did. Absolutely. You guys are so good tonight. But he still observed the facts of his life and he understood that God was orchestrating something much larger than just the simple circumstances of what was in his life. God had a plan. He told his brothers, you actually think you sold me into slavery. But what you don't understand is that God sent me. He sent me out because there was a reason that I had to go. And that reason was for you to be delivered and for God to keep a remnant of his chosen people because one day from that remnant is going to come the Messiah. A big plan, a great knowledge, God sitting far above what we can see, understanding that whether life gives us success or great depths of sorrow, we need to understand God knows how to orchestrate it for the good of you and the good of others around you. You know there are almost 8 billion people on the, on the earth? That is, that's, that's a lot of people. Um, but God is working in them in some way, in every one of them, His redemptive plan. It doesn't matter if they're a follower of Christ or not. It doesn't matter if you're obedient to Him or not. Somehow, God is going to orchestrate that in His redemptive plan. We have an active role to play in that, and our choices do make a difference. Our choices do matter, but God is working far above what we are able to see. And so what I want to encourage you is in understanding the, the divine knowledge of God, I want you to be open to God's process of healing in your life. Be open to His process of working in your life and realize that it may not go according to your plan, and most likely it's not going to go according to your plan. But God is at work. Realize he knows something that you don't. He knows everything. Not just something. But God knows everything that's going on. And Joseph had the benefit of looking back 
at this point of his story, and he saw God's plan. But God saw that plan not after the fact. God saw it before it ever was put in the manuscript. God saw it long before it ever happened. He saw it as it was happening, and of course, with Joseph, he also saw it afterwards. But right now, you and I are in the middle of our story. It's being written. There are things in your life that you don't know how they're going to turn out. You can't fully see the outcome. And this is where our faith steps in, for us to realize that God has a divine knowledge and He is at work. And to help encourage you, start looking for some of these things that have already completed. Your stories like Joseph that you've already gone through, where you doubted God for a time. And then finally now you look back and you say, wow, you were so faithful to me and I had no idea. And remember those moments to encourage you that right now you don't see how it's going to work out. But God's going to work it out. He knows what he's doing. You are not forgotten by him. You are not unloved by him. He knows everything that's going on and he is not caught off guard. Keep faith in him knowing that God has a divine knowledge and trust in the fact that he knows what is best. The third essential is this, divine grace. So divine love, divine knowledge, and divine grace. Um, they're all my favorite, but this, this is a definitely, a, they're all five star, but I, I love this one. I'm excited to share this with you because this, this all-knowing God, this all-loving God is also an all-powerful God, okay? It's great that God loves you, It's great that God knows everything, but it's also great that God has the power to do whatever it is that he wants to do. More than than Joseph had power over his brothers in Egypt, God has currently still the power to sentence us to death. Yet, he, he takes all of this power and he wields it and gives love and he gives grace to us abundantly. And I want us to see how Joseph showed grace, and then let's see how God does the same thing for us. In verses 9 of Genesis and chapter 25 and following. So Joseph tells his brothers, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall live in in the land of Goshen, And you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will also provide for you. For there are still five years of famine to come. And you and your household and and all that you have would be impoverished. So behold your eyes and see. Behold your eyes see and, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and on all you have seen. And you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he, Joseph, fell on his brother's Benjamin's neck and he wept. This is the first bro hug in the Bible. And Benjamin wept on his neck. But he didn't just stop with them. In verse 15 we say, he kissed all his brothers and he wept on them. And afterwards his brothers talked with him. See, Joseph poured out grace upon grace to his brothers. He didn't just take care of their needs and give them food like he did the previous time, but he gave them a new 
start in a new land. He told them five more years of famine were coming, and he used his status, his, his splendor in Egypt, to elevate his family. And so grace is a term that, that means many things, but I want to focus on this aspect of it. It, it means unmerited favor. It means you don't, earn, you don't earn any of this. You don't deserve any of this, but instead I'm going to give you blessing after blessing after blessing. That's what grace is. And they, were, they, the brothers, were in no position to help Joseph. They had nothing. They, they were coming there with, with a few gifts from their homeland and some money, but he didn't need that. They needed food. And they didn't deserve anything from Joseph except condemnation. They didn't deserve anything except the penalty for the fact that they sold him into slavery. Yet Joseph chose to bless them instead of condemning them. He chose to give them favor. Why? Because he loved them. He loved them. He also knew God had a plan. But there was this divine grace that God had given to Joseph to give to them. Joseph wanted to restore them more than anything. He wanted to reconcile his relationship with them. His heart, even in that moment, as you can see him weeping over them, was turned and directed toward them. And this is how God's heart is directed toward you and me. We're like the brothers. We're in no position to help God. I mean, what do we have that he needs? We got nothing. We got pistachios, like Joseph had last week. They're good, but come on. We're in no position to help God. He doesn't need anything from us. He has it all. But God desires in his goodness and his love to restore you and to restore me. He desires to have a reconciled, thriving relationship with you and me. His heart is turned toward you. And God is offering grace to you right now. Like Joseph to his brothers, Jesus is saying to us, what he said to them, but even more. He's saying something like this. He's saying, sons and daughters, don't be angry with yourselves. Yes, you, you sinned against me, and there was a great pain that I endured on your behalf, but you need to understand God sent me. You didn't send me to the cross. God sent me, and I chose to go on your behalf. The Father, our Father loves you, and knew the only way to rescue you was through sending me to die for your sins. And now God has exalted the name of Jesus Christ above all names. Now you must go and tell everyone, not just your father, but tell everyone about my splendor in the entire world. Because I was crucified in shame, but now I am crowned with glory. Hallelujah. There is a, a famine of righteousness in our world today. And you will only be rescued through Jesus. And Jesus is saying, bring people to me. This famine's going to continue, and the only hope that you have is through me. And when you come back, you must remain with me, because if you leave, you're going to die. Jesus made this clear in other Gospels uh, accounts when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If, if you remain with me, you're going to bear fruit and you're going to live. But apart from me, you can do nothing and you will surely die. But when you remain with me, you're going to live in the abundance of love under the security of an all-knowing Father who desires to shower you with grace for the rest of your days. Grace upon grace upon grace. You see, Jesus is the reason God the Father gives grace to us so generously. Remember when Joseph asked 
about his father in verse 3. You'll see in the next couple of weeks that his father finally gets that message and he comes to see him. It's a wonderful reunion. But when Jesus was on the cross being crucified for our sins, he cried out to his father, except his father did not answer his cry. His cry was not met with a glorious reunion, but his father turned his back on his one and only son, his favored son, his greater Joseph, his holy one, his perfect one. And instead of looking upon him with love and, 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 and finding delight at him as he did in his, at his baptism and at the, the Mount of Transfiguration, instead of looking upon him and saying, this is my beloved in whom I am well pleased, he turned his back on him. And in that cosmic moment, the perfect and pure holy Son of God became the stench of your sin and mine to the point that the Father could not even look upon him. God saw every sin of all people who have ever lived and who will ever live, and he, instead of pouring out love upon the Son of God, poured out judgment, he poured out condemnation, and he poured out the holy wrath of God for the sin that you and I deserve. He cried out to God right before his death, and he said these heartbreaking words. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer to that question is this. God, the Father, had a divine perspective. He saw above what was happening in that moment, and he knew of his own love for us. And his knowledge revealed to him that the only way for me and the only way for you to be rescued from sin and eternal death was through Jesus. And because Jesus submitted himself to be rejected by his Father through faith in the Lord Jesus now, the risen Lord, we can know, you ready? That the Father will never turn his back on us. Instead, he's going to shower us with grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Grace upon grace is ours because Jesus took that penalty of sin that we deserve. And it is essential in living with divine perspective. Grace is, for me, and for many people, the hardest thing for us to swallow, the hardest thing for us to understand, because pride is deceptive, but I think pride is the root of almost all rejection of this. But we don't want someone to have to suffer for what we did. That's kind of the redeeming aspect of it. Many times we struggle with this because, like, I don't, I don't really want someone to suffer because of what I did. I want to pay for that myself. But if you really understand, and that, that's like the, um, the good version of it. The bad version of it, the, the bad pride is, uh, I don't need anyone to forgive me for anything. That's the proud, resistant one. I'm talking about the humble pride, you know, the, the good pride that sends you to hell on the nice, easy road. But there's this resistance that we don't want someone to do that. But just understand this, if there were any other way 
God would have chosen that. But he didn't. Why would Jesus go to the cross if he knew there were another way? The only way for us to be restored to God is through his divine grace. And when we are restored through faith in him, through, through baptism and becoming new as a child of God, then we start to receive grace after grace after grace. And then we can talk about how to get our divine perspective on understanding that that's how God treats his children. When you need a dose of, of God's perspective in your life, which is every day, then I want you to remember and pray this to God. Pray, God, I know you love me. I trust that you know what you're doing. And now I receive your grace. This is how to live with divine perspective. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I want to admit as I close this sermon that it is hard to receive your grace because even as your child, even as your son, I, I want to prove myself. And not all of it's bad. I want to be good. And I know that there are many people that I have conversations with that, that feel like we fall short of the glory of God and, and that we're not good enough to be your children, we're not good enough to, to, to bear your name. And, and I pray that you would just break through those barriers in my life and those who are listening and help us to embrace the fact that, yes, you're exactly right, we're not good enough. But by your grace, we know that you love us, we know that you have a great plan, and we know that we become your children when we simply allow you to wash us with your grace. Thank you for your unmerited favor. Thank you for your perspective in life that is divine. And I pray that we as your children would walk in it all the days of our lives. Amen.